0: Welcome to The Galapod, with me, Galapasidia. In this episode, I'm reading Chapter 1 of The Bolt Hole, a new fic that I wrote with Adiomai and Tepra. If you're not here for dry fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning, this story deals with themes of grief and hoarding, but as always, it does have a happy ending. I hope you enjoy The Bolt Hole. Chapter 1 It was probably because Draco came to him marked with Ron and Hermione's care, their affection, that he looked so quiet and dear like his narrow shoulders were marked with the careful pat of their hands, his hair tidied under Hermione's pursed-mouth consideration. He looked more familiar, safer. It was only when Harry slanted a sideways glimpse that he caught the thin mouth and the glitter of his eyes and remembered who Draco was, and what he had always been. A problem. Harry had been early at the station. He hadn't a notion of the distance between his house and the rest of the world any more, and ended up with the damp paper on which had been written the time in the train— standing for a good half hour, staring at a towering big weed that grew out of the brick of the wall opposite. He wasn't nervous or anxious. He was mostly nothing much. It was dark, and the train platform was empty except for the two of them. No one else had got off at this stop, only Draco, luggage in hand. A faint, cold drizzle came down, catching in Harry's beard. His beanie had soaked through, as had his ratty red jumper. He smelled like a wet dog, he knew he did. Draco didn't mention it as he came in for a brief, awkward, surprising hug. Harry hadn't expected it, he put his arm clumsily around Draco's shoulder, felt the warmth and breath of him close against his side for a moment before Draco backed away, clearing his throat. "'Thank you,' said Draco. Grey eyes big in his face, almost asking a question with his gratitude. "'Are you sure? Is this okay?' "'Is that all you brought?' asked Harry, taking Draco's carpet bag from him. It was about nine times heavier than it looked. Draco laughed, glanced around, and cast a quick lightning charm. "'Wasn't sure you'd have any books,' said Draco. "'I have books?' "'Wasn't sure,' said Draco." Harry shook his head, wondering, again, again, if he had made a mistake in inviting Draco to stay. "'He's so cut up,' Hermione had said. "'He just needs to get out of that house.' It was still an off thing, even after all these years, to hear the tone of voice Hermione adopted when speaking of Draco, of her worry for Draco. She'd been worried for him ever since eighth year in one way or another. Was he eating enough? Was he drinking too much? Perhaps he seemed too sad or too energetic. As if he might, any day now, turn into something unfamiliar to her again, and the only way she could keep it from happening was by shaving and shaving at his edges, worrying over them.' "'She'd been right, perhaps.' Draco did look a bit unsteady, as they went through the platform gate to the little winding road lit only by the yellowy haze of a single street lamp. He looked fragile, as if he was on a rough come-down, as if he'd spent too long partying and now was paying for it. Harry was struck by the odd but not unfamiliar desire to tuck him into bed. Draco, apparently unaware of Harry's bizarre lapse into affection, traipsed after Harry with sightless eyes. Within minutes, Draco was breathless, although they weren't walking particularly fast. "'Can't we operate?' he asked. "'Oh, yeah.' "'said Harry, who hadn't gone anywhere in so long "'that he had more or less forgotten about apparition. "'Side along.' "'Draco held out an elbow. "'Harry looked at it for a moment before taking it. "'The bones of Draco's elbow were fine under his hand. Grummock Cottage had been nice when Harry bought it. "'He told himself, a good place to pause. "'He had bought it furnished without visiting, "'had simply given several million pounds to an estate agent "'with a description of what he wanted, and trusted to chance. "'He still remembered how it had looked the day he moved in, "'all clean and inviting and fresh. "'It had been a spring day, early May.' In the sun it was warm and the shade carried a past season's chill and a breeze got under his shirt and moved over his skin and everything about it made Harry feel new and like he was moving towards something different and better than what had come before. The cottage was nestled between a broad line of rhododendrons in full bloom and a willow, a bright green willow. There was a bench under the willow and in it engraved the phrase just a little longer. Harry had asked the estate agent what it meant once when he passed through town. She hadn't had an answer for him. Only that an old couple had lived there and they didn't have any children. The wife passed away a few years ago. The husband recently broke a hip and ended up in care. It had many rooms and a wide kitchen and rattling pipes and a coughing fireplace and Harry loved it immediately and perhaps a little desperately. The paint was cracked now and the thatched roof sagged. The rhododendron had overtaken the stone path and was bare that autumn. A network of dry fingers scratching at the outer wall. Harry jammed his shoulder into the faded blue door because for some reason the alohamora didn't work otherwise. Draco followed him into the cramped front hall. Harry switched on the light only to remember that the light bulb had gone out. Shit, he said. Lumos, said Draco, illuminating the dozens of unpacked boxes that crowded the front hall. When did you say you moved in, Potter? Please, Harry, Ron had said. He's going wild in that house with all of Pinky's things all over the place. Just a few weeks. A month. Tops. Tea, said Harry, not looking at Draco. He made his way through to the kitchen, ignoring the sound of Draco continually swearing as he knocked into things in the dimness. The kitchen bulbs were also out, but Harry was used to that. He lit a candle on the gas stove, filled the kettle, and put it on the hob. Draco extinguished his lumos. They watched each other warily in the candlelight, waiting for the kettle to boil. "'I'm sorry about Pinky,' said Harry. He'd never met the man, but had heard a lot about him over the years, in that disjointed way of hearing of friends of friends. Had heard of Draco's odd attachment, of which Hermione approved, of the small room that Draco rented above the shop, of which Ron disapproved. Too drafty had been the couple's conclusion, a repeated sentiment during their then-still-monthly fire call. They'd say it as if Harry had any opinion on the matter, as if Drafty meant something else, too. Harry had spent a long while thinking Pinky was far younger than he was, and perhaps Draco's boyfriend, and would listen to Ron and Hermione's tales with a sour boiling in his stomach. And when they did mention Pinky's age, in passing one day, Harry was so distracted and confused he'd lost most of the conversation that then followed. Draco broke his gaze away and started stacking things on the kitchen table to make room for the mugs. Admittedly, this was a necessary task, one that Harry had been putting off for... three weeks? Four? Four? The table was covered in empty pickle jars, candles, library books he had meant to return, wires, coins, keys, receipts, an old toothbrush. The usual. "'Thanks for letting me stay,' said Draco. "'I mean, I think it's a mad idea, but I was going to lose it if Hermione gave me one more of her.' "'Oh, the look,' said Harry. "'I know the look.' They both did it at each other. Wide eyes, sloping eyebrows, lips pursed in miserable sympathy. They laughed and looked away. "'Yes, exactly,' said Draco. "'It wasn't helping.' The kettle began to shriek. Harry used a tea towel to take it off the hob and poured the hot water into two chipped mugs. He looked at the stewing mugs in consternation. "'It isn't, uh, loose leaf,' he said. Draco stared at him, then laughed. "'Just how posh do you think I am?' he asked. "'Uh, quite posh.' "'Right,' said Draco. He stopped laughing, passing one hand over his cheeks, as if to feel where the laugh had happened. "'Tea bag is fine.' They drank their tea in silence. Rod and Hermione are well.' Said Draco. "'Good,' said Harry, "'trying not to betray how much it hurt "'that Draco was the one informing him of their well-being. "'It was his own fault. "'He knew it was his own fault. "'He had built his isolation purposely. "'It's as if you still think loving people will make them die,' "'Ginny had told him once. "'This is terrible,' said Draco, into his mug. "'Yeah,' said Harry. "'Wait, the tea?' "'No,' said Draco. "'He looked at Harry. "'This. "'Do you want to—' "'I don't know. "'Should we punch each other or something? "'Make it more normal?' We've hung out before without punching each other, said Harry. It was fine, we had a nice time. He meant the long, quiet nights in the eighth-year common room that last year in Hogwarts, with Hermione drowsing by the fire over a book and Ron teaching Draco chess. He was very bad at it, and Harry just sort of sitting with them, his whole head echoing with the resounding shock of peace. Sometimes, when Ron went to the bathroom, or to go and make cocoa in the corner Neville had set up, or to gently lift Hermione's ear and sheepishly kiss the nape of her neck, Draco would wave Harry over to the chessboard and say in a panic whisper, Fix it, Potter! and Harry would inevitably give him bad advice. "'Now you've done it,' Draco said, and once, "'well, at least he's beating both of us now. "'At last, Harry and I are in the same boat.'" It was the first time he'd ever called Harry by his first name. But Draco wasn't thinking about that. Harry could tell, because he looked rocked, and he said, stumbling, "'Oh, I'm afraid I'm not really... not in the mood. "'I'm sorry, I didn't think you'd still... "'It had only been once, right after their final exams in eighth year. "'They never spent time alone together, never,' Ron was the one who had befriended Draco in a strange bout of magnanimity. Harry had merely watched. Witnessed. But that afternoon, their final day at Hogwarts, Ron had made some passing remark about Lavender Brown, and Hermione, still frazzled after what she claimed had been a disastrous defence against the dark arts exam, had stormed out of the Eighth Year Common Room in tears. So Harry and Draco had ended up day-drinking in Harry's bed. They had been watching each other constantly for a year. They didn't know how to talk to each other without Ron or Hermione there, so there was nothing for them to do but obliquely reference the war and stare at each other. "'Good year,' said Harry. "'Better than last year,' said Draco, and winced. A beat of uncomfortable silence passed. "'You're a lightweight,' he added. "'Didn't have much chance to drink on the run from Voldemort,' said Harry, and Draco winced again. Maybe they just kissed out of awkwardness. They slouched against each other more as they drank, and then suddenly Draco had reached out and shut the curtains, which had seemed at the time like a clear sign that Draco wanted to have sex with him. So when Draco leant back into Harry, Harry had just... borne down on him. If Draco was surprised, it hadn't stopped him from kissing back.' They did the rest feverishly, confusedly. It had felt so good to finally be touching him. But when they were done, Draco had stared up at the canopy looking shell-shocked, and Harry had passed out. The next morning, Draco was gone. Early summer had heated up the room and the air was stale, caught behind the curtains. The sheets were tangled at his ankles, and the bed felt like it still held someone else's heat. He remembered thinking about his body as an odd thing in that moment, what he'd done with it, how he'd pushed it up against someone else's strange, strange body, the confusion of his sex heavy between his legs, what it meant... What it didn't mean. Harry was just human enough through his hangover to wonder whether it would have made a difference if Draco had stayed. But it was irrelevant, because he hadn't, and then Harry had moved to Grummock Cottage, and it never came up again. He did still think about it sometimes, though. The bleary, desperate way Draco had kissed him. The way his skin had felt, soft and damp and marred. At the very beginning, Harry had moved awkwardly, and Draco had said, "'Ouch!' And Harry had started apologising, wishing he could die, wishing he could apparate out of this room, embarrassed and worried at once, sure that no one had ever made a bigger fool of themselves.' Draco had paused, and then touched his hand lightly to Harry's cheek. A weird, gentle touch, almost formal, considering what they were doing. "'Your glasses just knocked into my eye, that's all,' Draco said, and unhooked them, sliding them off Harry's nose. "'There.' Harry's breath was rough and slow. "'I can't see without them.' "'You don't need to,' Draco had said. "'Here, I'm here.' And he'd reached to take Harry's hand, probably a kind gesture, except Harry had panicked and reacted like it was the first plane in an attack. He'd grabbed Draco's wrist and pinned it down back against the sheet— fingers biting into Draco's skin, and Draco threw his head back, arched up against Harry. He'd seemed to like it at the time, but Harry worried afterwards, when it made sense to worry. He hadn't known what he was doing. He'd been overwhelmed and too eager, too rough. Harry had sent a letter once, during his first year at the cottage. He'd written it after a storm, after a window had broken, when he'd felt so sad and lonely, and couldn't come up with anything that could cheer him up other than perhaps someone making fun of him, then holding him, then kissing him. He'd forgotten what the letter said, though it must have been very embarrassing and terrible. Draco had answered, a one line that felt impossible to interpret. "'Oh, but of course I'll come right away. Right away.' Harry was sure it was meant sarcastically, but hoped it was meant in earnest, though he couldn't remember Draco ever saying anything much in earnest. He had been right, though. Draco never did come. And right now, Harry wanted to sink through the floor. "'I didn't mean that,' Harry told him. "'I wasn't talking about—about that.' It was awful to think that Draco thought that was what Harry wanted from him, that he'd made it seem that way. He'd promised himself he wouldn't. There is no still. There was never any still— "'Right,' said Draco. "'Sorry, I misunderstood. "'I'm tired.' Harry had made a half-hearted attempt to clear the guest bedroom out, but it was still filled with stuff. Just stuff. Things Harry had bought in an attempt to get excited about his future, like the magical ice-cream maker that Harry had thought would make ice-cream magical again, or the toaster he'd seen in the catalogue that he had hoped would make hogwarts toast, or the KitchenAid stand mixer that he had truly believed would make him into a family man complete with wife, three children, and a homemade birthday cake. Draco sank into the creaky single bed and bounced himself gently up and down, tilting his head as it squeaked. A flash of memory came to Harry and he looked away. His neck felt hot. "'Towels are,' said Harry, then stopped. "'Did he have spare towels?' "'I think I bought some a while back. Hang on.' He rummaged around in a terrifying overstuffed closet in the corner of the room until he found a Donald Duck beach towel. "'So, here,' he said, breezily, in the hope that Draco would join him in the pretense that a Donald Duck beach towel was an acceptable thing for a twenty-four-year-old man to own. "'Towel.' Draco unfurled it, held it up, and examined Donald Duck. "'It's a muggle cartoon,' said Harry. "'I know what it is,' said Draco, lowering the towel. "'Thank you.' "'Yeah, no problem, of course,' said Harry. They stared at each other. This room, too, had to be lit by candlelight. Why couldn't Harry ever get drunk and order light bulbs? And Draco looked—well, it was intimate, candlelight, wasn't it? Not in a fancy restaurant sort of way. In a we're trapped in a basement during a hurricane sort of way. Draco was still a little damp from the rain, and Harry suddenly wished the cottage looked the way it had at first, so that Harry could have just put him somewhere safe and neat. Good night, said Draco. Harry blinked. Good night, he said, and they stared at each other a bit more before Harry remembered he was supposed to leave, and did. Draco woke up happy, only for the grief to come slowly back on him, an evil, settling mist. He'd got into the habit of waiting a few minutes upon waking to see if it was really true. Maybe it was a dream that would leave and clear, and when he'd wake up properly, relief would come to him, and Pinky would still be alive, and he'd be good again. Good in the way Pinky made him. But this morning, just like every other morning, Pinky was dead. And all that that meant. It was early, judging by the sun through the beige curtains, judging by the sounds of hesitant life outside. The blankets Harry had given him were very heavy, and he felt like a child, his arms locked under their weight, pressed to his sides. The room had the feel of a glorified supply closet and Draco realised with a slow-rising disbelief that he'd slept between teetering towers of boxes, sun-faded pictures of kitchen supplies, of the smiling women who presented them to the world. Draco looked up at the ceiling, going empty, feeling the endlessness of the day ahead, of every day ahead. "'My condolences for your friend Pinky,' his mother had written. "'Nearly eighty, wasn't he?' "'Old, yes. Pinky had been old, although you'd never had known it. He moved around with the speed and agility of a man in his prime, which made him frightening in a way— made him startling, hilarious. You saw him and thought you knew him, and he'd never quite be that. It had literally never occurred to Draco that he might die. Pinky did fifty jumping jacks every morning by the kitchen table, in his old man's shorts, his brown legs all loose muscle and bone. He was always very serious about his routine and would refuse to speak before it was completed. Draco would watch him, the blurry motion of him, the way his moustache quivered with every jump. It'd be always too early, and Draco would always be bleary, prying his eyes open with strong coffee. Pinky went backpacking across Europe and forced Draco to go with him. Pinky had taught Draco how to mountain bike. It might have been easier if Pinky had died of old age, of some illness, instead of just not coming home one day because he had been run over by a number 465 bus. Draco got out of bed and wandered through the house. It was a fucking mess, rather like Harry himself with his wild man living in the mountains beard. There were boxes everywhere, half-folded stacks of linen, things draped and then forgotten, and it looked as if Harry had never thrown away a receipt in his life. There were plenty of books, so Draco supposed he needn't have bothered bringing his own, but on closer inspection most of them were bizarre. A very large collection of pulp sci-fi, a stack of Harlequin fiction, and dozens of beginner's guides to an eclectic collection of hobbies. Backgammon, Italian cooking, falconry, auto-repair, chemistry, football, as though an alien were conducting very imperfect research into passing as a human. The cupboard under the stairs had been inexpertly boarded up with what looked like a smashed-up desk, A decade's worth of dirty laundry strewed the floor, even though Harry had only moved into the cottage six years before. It seemed as if Harry had developed a habit of buying new socks instead of washing old ones. Looking at it felt like a bit of an ache in its own right. And perhaps that was the grief that was seeping into everything, that coloured everything a sad melancholy. But Draco couldn't help but remember Harry at eighteen, in that bed, heavy and strong above him, and the terrifying knowledge that he was touching all that potential, all that future. There wasn't much of a future in this sagged mattress of a house. He wondered if Ron and Hermione knew. He wondered if he should tell them. For a long time it had seemed obvious to him that Ron and Hermione were putting up with him out of kindness and some sort of misplaced war fever where they still thought they had to rescue every ruin they stumbled across. And then for the first few years after Harry had left he'd assumed they were hanging on to Draco because they wanted the third point in the triangle, wanted to hide how desperately unbalanced and sad they were without Harry. Now Draco didn't really know what he thought. For a while he used to think about Harry coming back and how Ron and Hermione would just drift neatly away, Draco's use fulfilled. And it was horrible, and made his throat close up, and sometimes his breathing got a bit panicky. He kept thinking about it, over and over, even though he knew it was self-indulgent and bad for him. And then it occurred to him that part of the reason he kept thinking about it was that it involved the image of Harry Potter back in London, looking at Draco, Harry saying, I'll have my friends back now, Harry Potter's frightening and miraculous face, Harry talking to him again, and maybe he would just put his hand on Draco's shoulder just to prove his point. After that, Draco very deliberately never thought about it again. Put everything you can away now, he remembered Pinky telling him. Draco had still been so... But Pinky had changed the direction of Draco's personality. Pinky had shaped him, kindly, gently, firmly. Draco had been so used to harsh lines, and the punishment which followed when crossing those lines, that the question and answer of Pinky's life angered him at first, made him rebel, a teenager, all over again. "'You don't have to do it for me!' would be Pinky's perpetual answer to just about anything Draco refused to do about the house. The dishes, the laundry, the sticky patch on the kitchen linoleum that had to be scrubbed out. It would come with a shrug, and often shouted from the other room. For who, then, would come Draco's answer, said petulantly. You tell me, Pinky would tell him, and leave Draco to stew, to put things away, to clean. There was always music on in the house. Pinky would say, Thoughts sound so ugly without an orchestra to back them up. Humming slightly, Draco started to wash the dishes. The ones at the bottom of the sink were mouldy. He tried to feel cheerful at seeing what a disaster Harry was, like there were fourteen and Harry had fallen into a mud puddle and made a mess, and that was all it was, funny and not sad at all. When he went to put the dishes away in the cupboard, he realised that all the dishes inside were also dirty. Pushing through a jumbled wave of desperation, Draco whistled louder and set about washing every single piece of crockery in the kitchen, using both magic and his hands to get through the job quicker. The sun clouded against the filthy window panes. You know there are no way to stop feeling guilty about not doing something, Pinky once asked him, through a mouthful of bread. He was dipping it in the soup. Just doing it. They had been sitting in the tiny kitchen, Draco's aura application on the table between them. It had been sitting on his desk for three months. "'How do I begin to explain myself?' Draco said later, when the conversation continued into the shop. It had been a quiet day, with few people coming in, most of them browsing for a moment and leaving quickly. Draco leant listlessly against the counter. "'Why on earth would they hire me?' "'Doesn't matter,' said Pinky, annoyed in that way of his. He said most things with an air of bother. "'It's hanging over you, isn't it? So do it.' Pinky had been right. Pinky was right about most things, except sometimes about Draco, about Draco's potential and worth." But that was just a feature of Pinky's loyalty, and of the way he had loved Draco, completely and simply, like the son he'd lost in the First Wizarding War. His son, of course, had been a member of the Order. Draco had seen pictures of him around the house, a ravenclaw with sweeping black hair and a curious look behind horn-rimmed glasses. Pinky talked about most things except his son. After six months, Draco went to the library and looked through back issues of the Prophet until he found the information he wanted. Pinky's son had been killed in action, a skirmish with the carers on the edge of a forest. He'd almost thrown up, not sure whether he was relieved or miserable. He hadn't been a member of his family, but that didn't mean anything at all. Draco's hands had swelled in the soapy water, and he wasn't sure how long he'd stood there, staring at the backsplash. He'd stopped his humming without realising it. He drained the sink and dried his hands and began to move quickly about the house, found a pair of wellies among a pile of old shoes near the front door, pulled them on, and went around the cottage, spelling the windows clean. He had just put his wand away when a middle-aged woman came by on a horse. Draco leant against the garden gate. "'Good morning,' he called out. The woman looked at him in surprise. "'Good morning,' she said pulling her horse to a halt and scanning Draco from head to toe. "'I'm staying with Harry,' said Draco. The woman's eyebrows rose halfway up her face. "'Is that his name?' she asked. "'He's never spoken to anyone, not once in five years.' Draco laughed. He wasn't sure what it must sound like from the outside. What kind of emotion was it supposed to convey? He said, "'Hasn't he? How unforgivably rude. I must apologise on his behalf.' The woman smiled. "'I'm Elsie,' she said. "'I live the next farm over.' "'Draco, I've escaped London. Don't make me go back.' Elsie looked charmed. Draco had forgotten that about muggles and foreigners, how easy they were to charm. Something warped in his chest. I might have charmed wizards, too, if— "'No, you're safe here,' said Elsie. Draco drew himself back into the conversation, holding on to the slippery end of it, something of a reminder that he was capable of this, too. That there were people out there who couldn't see his grief, how it emanated from him. A sad lighthouse, a lamp searching and searching over the relief of the shore. "'Could you tell me where I might find the nearest shop?' he asked Elsie. "'Harry's kitchen is sadly depleted, and I'm ravenous.' "'Oh, it's miles away. You can't walk. Come have breakfast with me.' Fifteen-year-old Draco would have scorned Elsie. Twenty-four-year-old Draco smiled and said, "'You're very kind. I'd love to.' He tried not to remember, as he let himself out of the gate, that it was Pinky who had taught him to say yes to harmless pleasures. Draco had been eighteen and consumed with a guilt that tore through him like fire, blackening and unquenchable. He could not talk about it with Ron, not though Ron talked to him about the war, because, although Ron did not seem to know this, their friendship could never be one of equals.' Draco was too indebted to him, too grateful. There had been no one else. His father was serving life in Azkaban, his mother had moved to Venice, and he lived alone in the empty manor like it was a revenge. Like he was punishing himself, skulking in the cold halls, jumping away from moving shadows. Did he believe he needed to suffer more at the time? It was what Hermione had kept saying, in the same breath she told him to stop it. He hadn't. Half the Slytherins would not speak to him because he had testified against their parents, and the other half avoided him because he had been a Death Eater, and at all of it he forced himself not to be bitter, and instead to think... Fair enough. Ron and Hermione alone were themselves around him. He cherished them for it, but he was unceasingly aware of how they might change their minds any day now. He was avoiding them the day he met Pinky. He wandered into Pinky's pottery shop, unemployed, rich, aimless, and far too miserable to play fun Draco for Ron and Hermione. He picked up pots idly and put them down again, barely aware of Pinky following him with his eyes as Draco moved through the shop. Perhaps his exhaustion had been more than just mental. His dreams in that period were admittedly bellicose, because a particularly lovely pot had slipped through his fingers and smashed to the floor. Draco blinked at it, each blink pressing out fresh tears, and said, I fuck everything up! Reparo, said Pinky, and the pot was perfect again, but Draco was still crying. Pinky laughed in a way that was intended to make Draco laugh too, but it didn't work. Draco had to hold onto the edge of a display table to keep himself upright. Pinky changed the sign on the shop door to, closed. Come on then, Draco, he said. And Draco, too confused to do anything else, followed Pinky into the back room. He didn't have to ask how he knew Draco's name. Everyone knew Draco's name. Pinky introduced himself, made Draco a cup of tea, and gave him a handkerchief. "'I'm a mistake,' wept Draco, words loosening in his chest at the kindness. "'I should never have been born. I don't fit on my side or on theirs. There's no place for me. Even when I fix things, it's only to break something else. I can't do this. Every day feels like pushing through to the end of a race, but the race just keeps going. "'Have you ever made a pot?' asked Pinky. "'What?' Pinky took him to the potter's wheel, showed him how to use it. Draco noticed he was missing one finger, the smallest one in his left hand. Pinky then put a fresh, wet lump of clay on the metal wheel. "'You're odd,' Draco told him. "'I'm not the one weeping at strangers,' said Pinky. "'Sit. Make something.' And Draco had tried. The clay was wobbly, wouldn't stay in place, and pushed back against Draco's hands like a live thing, a cold and wet little animal. Pinky told him, "'Steer with your touch, not pressure.' and Draco got frustrated and said, I'm trying to, for Merlin's sake, I'm trying, and the radio was on far too loudly in the back, and Pinky said he was going too slow on the wheel and put his foot down on Draco's on the pedal, and that's when it happened. The hunk of clay, almost shaped like a cone, flew right off the wheel and smashed against the wall. Draco gave an angry cry. Pinky said, Yes, good, as if that was what they had been aiming for. Exactly this. And that was the important thing. Draco had done everything Pinky had told him to do from the very beginning. He had made pots, He had got a job at the pot shop. He had moved out of the manor, into Pinky's house. He had gone to strange dinner parties with Pinky and his ancient friends who spontaneously read Shakespeare tracts or sang Italian opera at the dinner table. He had said yes to everything. And what was difficult at first became easier. Patience, compassion, generosity. About one week in, Pinky started making fun of him. He'd tell Draco it was going to rain later and add, But it's probably not because you're such a terrible person, so there's no real need to cry. And only laughed when Draco puffed up and sneered at him and stormed out. When Draco skulked back later, desperate for Pinky's easy affection, the calm, kind way he laid out the way Draco should proceed, Pinky said, "'Oh, the prodigal returns!' and laughed, and Draco nearly lost his temper again. They continued that way for weeks. It threw Draco. He didn't know how to react to it. Nobody in Slytherin had ever made fun of him, not since the one time Pansy made a joke about his name at his eighth birthday party, and he told everyone she was a horrid slag, and they weren't to speak to her, and nobody had, because Draco's birthday parties were always the best.' Rod and Hermione had always laughed at Draco's jokes, with a kind of feverish relief, as though they discovered that he was at least the friendly kind of monster. But never at him. It felt too fragile, like this strange alliance would crumble if rocked. Draco's mother had always thought he was simply marvellous, and when his father had been disappointed in Draco it had been anything but funny. But Pinky liked to laugh, and he liked to poke fun, and sometimes it... it almost helped that those terrible, rotten parts of Draco, his cowardliness and how spoiled he was, could just be something sweet and a little silly about him. That Pinky knew him well enough to see all the bad, and that for the most part it just amused him. So when Elsie offered breakfast, there was no question. Draco said yes, because Pinky had loved him, and taught him, and left him, and saying yes was all that remained. Elsie's cottage was a dream after Harry's horrid war-trauma house. "'He's a recluse, then?' asked Elsie, frying some eggs. "'He's been through a lot. Poor man,' said Elsie. "'He has so many friends. I wish you would just—' said Draco. "'Well, it's not my place.' The eggs were delicious. They were from Elsie's chickens. She gave him a basket with a fresh loaf of bread and some homemade goat's cheese to take home. Harry was still not up when Draco returned, almost noon. Draco wondered if Harry was avoiding him, if he thought Draco was expecting anything from him. Draco had learnt a long time ago that there was no use in expecting things from Harry. Harry defied prediction. The house was overwhelming, crammed to the gills and bursting, so Draco wandered through the garden, which was overgrown and gone to seed, but still real, a real living thing not choking on piles of cardboard and plastic. At the back was a shed, which gave him some hope for somewhere to put everything, but it too was of course heaving with unopened boxes and shiny appliances that had never been used. He had a quick weep when he found a bicycle. He and Pinky had planned on cycling across South Africa in September. Once he'd pulled himself together, he got on the bicycle and went in search of the nearest shop. The winding country roads were shaded by naked branches, starkly brown against the pale blue sky. The wind shook out Draco's hair and for a brief moment his guilt lifted. The air was so clean. But then, of course... He remembered that good people died, and bad people lived to take bicycle rides in Gloucestershire. And his heart constricted with a misery that he hated himself for indulging in. He balanced the groceries on the handlebars and cycled back. The wind coaxed tears out of his eyes. "'Crying again, are you?' Pinky would have said. "'Where's the spilt milk?' And Draco would have said, "'You know, that doesn't actually make any sense. Do you think dementia has finally hit? Is it off to a home for you at last? Don't worry, I'll make sure the nurses are pretty.' While Pinky balled up his newspaper and threw it at Draco, eyes bright and pleased." The kitchen was still a disaster zone, of course, but Draco opened up all the windows and put the crap on the table into an empty cardboard box. He was just putting the finishing touches on two ploughman sandwiches. He didn't know when Harry would get up, but he would presumably need to be fed, when the flu flared up. "'Draco?' It was Ron. Draco sank to the floor in front of the fireplace. "'Hey,' he said. "'How is it?' asked Ron. "'Fine,' said Draco. "'Harry's... alive?' "'I wasn't asking about Harry.' "'I, too, am alive,' said Draco, and then winced, because it hit him again, the way it did sometimes, that Pinky was dead. "'How are you?' he asked Ron. "'Draco, mate, come on, we're worried about you,' said Ron. "'I'm not about to off myself, if that's what you're thinking. I come from hardy stock. We survive all sorts of things, Malfoy. His bereavement is nothing.' It was hard to read Ron's face in the fire. "'Okay,' he said, after a beat. "'Are you eating?' Draco laughed, the first real laugh of the day. The week, maybe.' "'Yes, Molly,' he said. "'Oh, fuck off. You were drinking all your meals. "'When I came over on Tuesday, you made cock o without the cock,' said Ron. Draco tilted his head. "'Ron, no! Such interest in my cock!' Ron flicked an ember at him. Draco dodged it. "'I'm eating,' said Draco. "'Is Hermione there? How's she getting on with the treasure ship case?' "'You're not supposed to be thinking about work,' came Hermione's voice from somewhere behind Ron. "'Hello, Hermione. Any news on the Curse Pirates? "'Because I was thinking, have you looked into Samuel Taylor Coleridge? "'The rhyme of the Ancient Mariner might—' "'Hermione's face appeared in the fire, looking exasperated. "'Of course I've looked into Samuel Taylor Coleridge,' she said. "'I've been reading him since I was fifteen. "'And this was what had changed since Pinky. "'This. This inability to—this. "'Whereas I was too busy hate-crabbing muggles to read much romantic poetry. "'Yes, that's right,' said Draco. "'There was a long silence. "'Er,' said Harry, from the doorway. Draco put his head on his knee. Morning, he said. Harry, is that you? asked Ron. Harry, mate, how are you? Draco heard Harry come to sit next to him in front of the fire. Yeah, good, he said. Just woke up. We were only checking in on Draco, said Hermione. We know you don't like us to check in on you. Draco looked up. Harry was frowning, not quite looking at Ron and Hermione's faces on the fire. Draco and I are fine, he said. Haven't killed each other yet. Draco's mind echoed the phrase back to him with a note of hysteria. Draco and I, Draco and I. He said, "'We've been very well behaved,' then stood before he could add anything else, like, "'I haven't mocked his dead parents once. Does that sort of thing warrant praise on someone like me? It does, doesn't it?' He had only just stopped thinking things like that when Pinky died. Pinky had developed a habit of parroting Draco's self-deprecations in increasingly embarrassing accents, voices, like a child. At some point, Draco had started hearing his own thoughts in that stupid voice, had begun to ignore them for how tiring they were. They seemed to have returned now, heavy-voiced again, serious again.' He had thought he had got over it, found a way to live with himself. Clearly he had been wrong. Yeah, said Harry, so you don't need to check in on us. All right, Harry, said Hermione. We miss you, she said it hesitantly, as though knowing it wouldn't be received in favour. I have to go, said Harry, which Draco thought was a bold statement, given that Harry didn't have anything in his schedule and hadn't for six years. I miss you, said Draco, quiet and quick, not for Harry to hear. He could see how upset Hermione looked. Both of you. Even though Ron did try to get off with me again, Hermione, be warned. Ron, stop hitting on Draco, said Hermione. I wasn't. He said he wished he'd seen my cock when he came over on Tuesday, said Draco, ignoring how stiff Harry had gone. cock va said Ron. Cock-o-va. See, he's quite desperate, said Draco, sorrowfully. I wish he'd at least keep up appearances. All right, Draco, goodbye, said Hermione, laughing. We love you. Love you too, said Draco. This he'd practised. This he knew how to do now. Harry stood abruptly and barged past him. The flu went out with a pop. "'It's past noon, you know,' said Draco, in the silence that followed. Harry was staring at the kitchen sink. "'You did the dishes,' he said. Draco was visited by a sudden fear that he had offended Harry by trying to make his cottage less disgusting. Maybe the filth represented the war dead or something. Uh, "'Yes,' said Draco. "'And I made sandwiches.' Harry turned to look at him. "'I didn't know you loved them,' he said. "'Well, they're quick and filling and excellent with pickles.' Harry did not speak, only continued to look at him. Draco sighed and sat at the table. Yes, I love them. They're my closest friends except for Pink. They're my closest friends. Harry had been more attractive without the insane black forest beard, but he did look more intimidating like this. And he had always been intimidating. The beard hid the curve of his mouth, made him older, sterner. His eyes were the only bright part about him, and Draco had never been good at meeting them. Draco forced himself not to shrink under his unwavering gaze. Thanks for this. I'm starving, said Harry, finally and sat down to slowly eat his sandwich opposite Draco. They did not take their eyes off each other as they ate. Draco tried not to think too much about predators, animals circling each other. He thought, "'Maybe I should roll over and show my belly,' and it was meant to be a joke to cheer himself up, except he thought about it too much and nearly choked on his sandwich. "'Did you really commit hate crimes against muggles?' asked Harry suddenly, wiping his mouth with a paper towel Draco had left out for him. Draco had a mouthful of sandwich that he had to chew before he could answer. The food felt thick and tasteless, although he had been enjoying it before. His jaw was tired. He swallowed with difficulty. "'No,' he said. Sixth year paraded in a series of comically dramatic scenes in the back of his mind, one terrible thing after the other. "'No one I hurt was even Muggle-born, ironically.' Harry stared at him. Harry was always fucking staring at him, as if Draco was something he wanted to figure out and be done with. "'So, what do you do in the afternoons?' asked Draco, in the hope that Harry would remember that they really shouldn't talk about the war. Harry shrugged in a way that made it clear just how stupid he found that question, got up from the table, and left the room. Draco washed up their plates in silence, then set about cleaning the grout in the downstairs loo in a doomed attempt to forget himself. Obviously it wasn't fair to be angry at Draco for cleaning. And he wasn't, not really, but... It embarrassed Harry. He went into the freezing sitting room and collapsed on the sofa. Old receipts crunched as he moved. It was some kind of déjà vu, he thought, having Draco here. In all his fussing before Draco's arrival, he hadn't considered how much like school it might feel to occupy a space knowing Draco was nearby, always. To hear him in the other room, to wonder what he'd do next, what he'd say next. To whom, and how, and how it might upset. How it might make someone laugh. Harry had been slow to realise that Ron was serious about befriending Draco back then. It was so unlikely. At first, Harry had been convinced that it was part of some grandiose revenge fantasy. I don't think so, Harry, said Hermione, when he came to her with his theory. Draco's changed, you know that much was obvious. Draco had come back to Hogwarts that year, acting, for those first few weeks, like a blank side of a page. A nondescript smile on his face, politely giving up his seat in the common room, saying things like, excuse me, and no, I don't mind, and oh, yes, of course. Though old ink began to spill through, and soon, his smile turned shaky, he'd stare into the middle distance, had to be shaken from his stupor. He'd say, what? and did you say something? and sorry, could you repeat that? Hermione said it was rather sad, but that she refused to feel sad for him, but then did it anyway. Ron said there was no fun in hating someone who looked as if they might break down into tears at the sound of a sneeze. Harry said nothing at all. He stared from across the library table at the parchment-thin skin of Draco's hollowed cheeks and said nothing. Harry went to sit next to him at breakfast at some point. Autumn, almost winter. The rest of the students were very still around them, very careful. They reached for the toast at the same time and their knuckles brushed and Draco was the first to pull his hand away. Had his head turned, listening to someone else's loud conversation a few seats over. Hermione had seen it happen and that evening Harry found her speaking earnest and quiet with Draco by the fire. He was nodding a lot, then tried to interrupt, then motioned as if to say, No, no, sorry, you go, you go. The next day, when the three of them went out for a walk, Hermione's one hand in Ron's, her other arm, looped through Harry's. She said, thoughtful into the silence, I think he gets it, funnily enough. Harry didn't want to ask, get what? He knew, probably. He probably knew. That's how it started. Polite silences for Harry, Late nights with Hermione in the common room, the two poring over books or playing invented trivia games that didn't sound like games, but more like nerdy versions of truth or dare. And for Ron, well, Draco flirted with Ron. Perhaps it was the absurdity of it. Perhaps he'd found for each of them the most outrageously opposite attitude from what had come before. For Hermione, friendship. For Harry, avoidance. For Ron... "'Ronlington,' he'd say, each time a new variation. Ronal, Ron Lomovich.' He'd come into the common room and drape over Ron's lap and announce, "'Aren't you looking handsome today?' "'Get off, you're too bony,' said Ron, and Draco allowed himself to be tipped onto the sofa with a laugh. He left his feet in Ron's lap, and Ron put his hands on Draco's ankles. Harry stared at the patch of skin between the end of Draco's trouser legs and his laced-up oxfords. Ron covered the skin so casually, as if it were perfectly natural that Draco was allowing him to touch it. Another time, a sixth year pushed Draco into the lake. Harry rushed forward, but Draco emerged from the water already grinning, His hair had been shorter that year than it was now, but it still fell over his eyes, into his face, making him look oddly soft in the mornings, and just then he shook it like a wet dog. Not, Harry thought, a comparison he would appreciate, and it sent water arcing across the lake. He caught sight of Ron and his grin grew even larger. "'Did you rescue me, Ronford?' he asked. "'Shall I repair you with my body?' Ron, who had just jinxed the Sixth former with a grim and warlike determination that Hermione would later say had probably not fit the crime, seemed to relax. "'Fuck off, Malfoy,' he said. Pocketing his wand and nudging the sick former with his toe, she rolled away. Among other things, she was now covered in wheels. "'I pity you, Hermione,' said Draco, shaking weeds out of his hair. His shirt was soaked through, almost translucent. He picked a reed off his shoulder with absent-minded care. "'A girl like you deserves a hot-blooded man to keep her warm at night.' Hermione smiled indulgently as she cast drying charms at him. "'I do keep her warm at night,' said Ron. "'God, Ron, we don't need to hear about your sex life,' said Draco. Ron flicked him hard on the forehead." You deserved that, Hermione told Draco. Harry wondered if he was the only one who caught the sudden blankness on Draco's face. So quickly was it gone. He kept a keen eye on them, Ron and Hermione. Their reactions to Draco's words. Especially when it came to the flirting, to the sometimes hysterical edge it took. Making a joke of himself before anyone else could. Draco's dramatics were done in obvious jest and were in turn received with apprehensive half laughs, with knowing looks. Harry would watch it happen and hold his breath and wonder if anyone was going to say something of it. Get angry with Draco when he took it too far. Accuse him of something. No one ever did, and Harry still held his breath. He himself wanted to say something about it when Draco wasn't around, but he didn't know what it was that he wanted to say. How do you ask about something like that? Confirm it? Draco was clearly joking, but how much? At which point did the joke start? Wanting Ron? Wanting men? How to phrase a question about someone's sexuality and not transport the conversation to their bed, call attention to their bodies? And Harry did not want to think too much of Draco's bed back then didn't want to think of his body. He thought about it anyway, every night, right before falling asleep. He'd think about it, and then get upset, and then decide he'd stop. He'd been through enough, was his reasoning to himself. They'd all been through enough without this, too. Sometimes he wondered what would happen if he were to flirt with a boy like Draco did, like it was a play with only punchlines and everyone only ever laughed. If he were to drape himself over Dean and exclaim all drama, So, when are we going to finally resolve this sexual tension here, darling? The thought itself made him a little nauseous with fear. Made his gut pinch itself a thrill, too. A wild desire. A need to act out, to shout, to hide, to touch. To be touched. Harry? Harry started up from the sofa. Draco was watching him. His hands tugged nervously at the hood of his coat. He still had that fragile air to him, his pupils huge and his cheeks pale. He looked as if he were wasting away from some tragic Victorian illness. Trust Draco to make unhappiness look romantic. Yes, hi, said Harry. Were you asleep? asked Draco. No, said Harry. I'm going for a walk if you want to come, said Draco. Harry lay back on the sofa. Draco had a mole near his left nipple. Harry hated that he knew that. Yeah, all right, said Harry. I think I have some wellies somewhere. Found them, said Draco, and led Harry to the back door, where he had assembled the shoe rack Harry had bought four years ago and forgotten to take out of the box. Rows of shoes were neatly displayed on the wooden slats. There could not have been a more obvious way of saying, You live in a shithole and I want none of it. Harry clenched his jaw and bent to put on a pair of wellies. The box he was used to resting a hand to balance on was missing, tidied away, and he grabbed vengefully at Draco instead, fingers digging into Draco's shoulder. He meant it as a petty annoyance, but Draco just went very still. He stood waiting, his head bowed, motionless under Harry's grip. Harry's face went hot under his beard. Outside, the sky had clouded over since lunchtime. It was grey and promised rain. Draco closed his eyes and sniffed. "'I've missed the countryside,' he said, and started walking. Harry knew he should be leading the way, that he should be the host, the tour guide, but Draco seemed to know exactly where he was going, to a nearby field girded by a small stone wall. "'We can't go in there,' said Harry. Draco frowned. "'Why not? As a stile,' he said, pointing to a wooden step Harry had always ignored. "'There might be cows,' said Harry. "'Just don't make them run and you'll be fine.' "'What happens if they run?' asked Harry. Draco gave him a peculiar look. "'I don't know,' he said. "'It spoils the milk, I think. "'Harry, are you scared of cows?' "'No,' "'Because it seems as if you may be scared of cows,' said Draco, looking more and more amused. "'I'm not! Is this your one weakness? Saving people and... cows? Fuck off!' Draco raised his eyebrows and climbed over the stile. Harry had no choice but to follow him, sealing. He wasn't afraid of cows. He was afraid of not knowing the rules, of someone approaching him to tell him he was doing the wrong thing, of of being talked to. Draco looked cheerful as he strode down a narrow dirt path along the edge of the field, his wellies squelching in the mud.' Draco had come out of the wall better than he had gone into it. It had improved him, and that was yet another thing to resent him for. Harry dug his hands into his pockets. "'You look very wild,' said Draco, glancing over his shoulder with a mischievous smile. The wind had picked up, and Draco's hair, choppy around his chin like he hadn't quite decided whether to grow it out or not, was flying in his face. Harry could have taken it gently in a fist, pulled it back. "'I'm sure the cows will give you a wide berth.' bit rich for you to be lecturing me on cowardice,' said Harry, and Draco jerked his head to look straight forward." "'It's like it's all hit him at once,' Hermione had said. "'Like Pinky was the only thing stopping him from thinking about the war.' Harry wanted to say sorry, but he felt too embarrassed. He stayed silent. So did Draco. They came to another stile. Draco was halfway over it when he stopped and gave a short laugh. "'What?' asked Harry. "'Cows!' said Draco. And indeed, the next field was full of them. Draco seemed paralysed on the stile, one foot on either side of it. "'Let's go back.' "'I'm not actually scared of cows, Draco.' Draco stepped back onto Harry's side of the stile, not looking at him. bit tired, he said, and walked back the way he had come. That was Chapter 1 of The Bolt Hole, written by Adiomai, Tepra, and Gala Placidia, and read by Gala Placidia. Tune in next week for Chapter 2. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on iTunes, and why not share it with a friend who you think will like the show? For more stories by me, head to AO3. I also have an Instagram at let them eat books with underscores instead of spaces where I post reviews of the books I read. So please say hello on there. Thank you for listening.